today on Owl Have You Know. What makes companies successful is people. When you hire someone in to do a job, you're not just hiring that person, you're hiring who they are. Welcome into Owl Have You Know. I am your host, David Drewgleaver. Thank you for joining today. And I have with us Pranika. And Pranika is a managing director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Greystone, which is a commercial real estate firm. She focuses on diversity, inclusion, and learning slash development work uh, for many, many decades. Uh, she's a proud transplant in Houston, Texas from Chicago. So first and foremost, Pranika, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. I'm excited to be here. Likewise, absolutely. You know, offline, we had such a great question that you had brought up. And uh, sometimes I ask, what are you passionate about? What uh, gets you out of bed in the morning? But you had said, what causes you to not hit the snooze button, which is pretty awesome. So I'll throw that back at you, Pranika. What causes you to not hit the snooze button early in the morning? So I think what's been so exciting about doing leadership development and diversity and inclusion work is the aha moments that you can see that people have uh, through learning and awareness and taking on a different perspective. And I find that challenging. You know, people are complex um, when you know, you're trying to reach them and educate them. And I find that you have to be creative with that. Um, you need to make sure that you can present well to them. And I get a lot of personal fulfillment from seeing people have those aha moments. And I think for doing this work almost two decades, that's really what allows me not to hit the snooze button. I still get so excited about it every single day. I love that. And that it's always gets me excited when other people are excited about what they do. And that comes out in your voice. And so so this is probably a good point to just ask, you know, what brought you uh, to this focus area? And why is this your what you decided to focus your life on? Could you give us the Harbor Cruise to how you landed here? Yeah, sure. So I actually studied engineering in college in Chicago uh, at Northwestern. And I was doing that um, for about four and a half, five years, and I was finding it hard not to hit the snooze button. I was also, you know, in my early 20s um, working on the restaurant scene in Chicago uh, just for some excitement and extra money. And uh, I met someone who had uh, an HR and diversity and inclusion consulting firm. After uh, volunteering to do some uh, speaking panel work for him about women in engineering, I ended up going to work for that consulting company for more than a few years. And that was my first uh, exposure to diversity and inclusion. I didn't know much about it. I found my voice there. I learned how to present in front of people. And uh, I really learned uh, about um, what that word diversity means and what is that feeling of inclusion? You know, oftentimes we think about diversity, which is really about representation, but we don't think about this deep need that humans have for belonging. And I think that that has uh, expanded in its definition. It's much more important to companies 
Uh, but when people truly belong, they can do their best work and their relationships are better and the company culture is better. And so there's so much that you can strive for within that. And it's really neat to be able to see people uh, completely be who they are. Uh, it's difficult to have companies that have a completely authentic and inclusive work environment. So there's always work to be done around that, but it's really exceptional work and I find it fulfilling and I find it challenging. I know this is a loaded topic, the, the topic of diversity, and it's it's been a focus area for so many leaders uh, in business and beyond. Um, you threw it out there, so I'm going to go ahead and ask the definition of diversity. What does that mean, and how should we think about that definition? So the way that I think about diversity is representation. So to have a diverse organization or to look at a diverse group of people means that you're having representation from a wide variety of, you know, um, the first level of diversity is mostly things that can be seen. So whether it's race, gender, um, you know, ethnicity, age, uh, sexual orientation, ability, disability, um, it's those types of things. You know, inclusion is, it's the fact of being included. You know, we, we often hear this phrase of having a seat at the table. Um, but I also think it's, it's about having a voice and a voice that is actually heard. And then belonging is the outcome of that inclusion. So when we feel like we belong, we feel like we can be our true selves in whatever atmosphere or environment that is. And I think that those three really go together. Uh, I call it dibs for short. I did not coin that term. <laughs> I read it in a Harvard Business Review article a few years ago. Um, Pat Wadors used to be the chief human resources officer at LinkedIn. She's now at uh, Procore. And she said, you know, if you recall back to when you would call dibs on the first seat, on the front seat of the car, it's such a powerful force to say, hey, I got the front seat, I'm calling dibs. Mm -hmm. And it's this, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> the same way um, when you think about belonging with diversity and inclusion as well. So when we have inclusion along with diversity comes true belonging. And that force is so powerful um, that it does cast a positive shadow on whatever environment that you're in. Mm. Thank you for that that cogent reply and, and the acronym. I that resounds with me because growing up, to your point, hey, I got dibs. You know, I call that shotgun. <laughs> it's just naturally yeah. <laughs> in, in my my DNA. So uh, this is really interesting. This combination of the the three: diversity, inclusion, belonging. I want to ask the question because as I work with business leaders, you understand how a lot of leaders think. I think that more and more folks, of course, are embracing diversity. I think that is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to play the obtuse role here. So I feel like diversity can be relatively easily measured, whereas inclusion and belonging are more difficult. It, it's at first blush. That's what it appears to me. It, right, wrong, and you know how should leaders that want to measure things so they know they're making progress, particularly on inclusion, belonging, how should they think about tracking progress on those fronts? 
Yeah, so I think that diversity is pretty easily measured. Um, but when you get to inclusion, I think a lot of that is influenced and impacted by the leadership, whoever's leading that team, or if you look at an organization, how that inclusion cascades down. Um, a lot of that about it is asking questions instead of just telling. So asking how people work best, asking, um, you know, what kind of communication works for them, asking their opinion on things, delegating to them. It's things that I think go along with um, leadership skills. Um, in terms of metrics, you know, there are always uh, surveys that you can do asking employees questions, but in the everyday, and I think inclusion happens in the everyday, it's really about two-way communication. What communication is the speaker giving to the listener? How is the listener receiving it? And how are they responding back to the speaker? And if you think about it from a team perspective or a leadership and employee perspective, there has to be active listening. We all grow up with this database, so to speak, which is really our brain. So whether it's the geography where you grew up, uh, how you grew up, who influenced you, whether it's um, you know parents, grandparents, extended family, clergy, teachers, friends, um, where you were educated, we are um, opened up to diversity and inclusion and different experiences by however we experienced life. And that's the perspective and awareness that we take. And that grows when we allow our database to grow and allow other information to come in. Hmm. You know, as we're going in the work world, a lot about it is achievement and what can we achieve or accomplish. And I think when you are an individual contributor, you focus on that. As a leader, you can't just focus on that. So to get the best out of someone, you have to really be able to actively listen as well. And I think so much of that is involved in inclusion work. Speaking of, of leaders, and, and as I review your backgrounds, and, and you've been in people management as well, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you have examples of what you just described where you, you helped the, the folks that you're leading to bring that greater awareness, as you're saying, to, to the dibs, to the diversity, inclusion, and, and belonging? Would you like to share a story around that front? Sure. Um, so I used to give, you know, like six to eight hour trainings um, for leaders in, in this subject. Um, but when you truly try and lead that and also try and have that integrated within an organization, there's so much that's involved with it. Um, I'll give examples of, uh, you know, uh, my own personal team and extended HR work. Um, but I think what really made an impact in my previous organization and, and even now is that we involved that type of learning and education in leadership development in the leadership programs that we're doing. So to be an inclusive leader, uh, you really need to be able to experience that from a development standpoint. 
So in our leadership programs, we actually put those sessions in. And I think that that also lent importance to the fact of this is necessary for your success as a leader. You know, I will say that in doing this, I've also learned a lot about myself. Um, you always have to be a student of leadership every day. I think I've learned a lot about my own personal styles of leadership and what my uh, strengths and uh, opportunities for learning are. Um, and so I think that what I've really needed to focus on was listening as well. I wouldn't say that I'm a very patient person or an avid listener. So for me personally with my team, uh, it was how do I include folks that are introverted but may have amazing ideas? So for me, that inclusive part for leading, learning and development uh, and this inclusion work was being able to hear everyone's voice, whether we were in a meeting or outside of a meeting. So really looking at if people are internal processors, how do I hear their ideas and make sure the team is hearing their ideas? So I will say that that was probably uh, a bigger challenge for me and making sure that I could lead well um, to include everyone's voice. Mm, thank you for that. And this other question popped up in my mind. I'm imagining these conversations between leadership, people that are taking the mantle of leading an organization or group of people. And there's a lot of call to action to your point around, around dibs. And is there not also a call to action for the, the folks that are being led as well? Meaning as the leadership grows and evolves in this capacity that you're talking about, as an example, is there a call to action for your followers or frontline workers or individual contributors, as you're saying, to say, I feel like my voice is heard. So that way there is that two-way dialogue and communication. So that way people understand no matter where you are, that there is progress that's being made. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of times we look at leadership and say this is their responsibility. But in a sense, everybody is a leader, because even if you don't have a team of people reporting to you, you lead yourself and thereby impact and influence others. So in this work, I feel like and in leadership in general, self-reflection is probably one of the key, most important factors. What went well today and what could I do better? And when you narrow that down to diversity and inclusion work, it's self-reflecting on biases and how you mitigate that bias. Every person has bias. It's normal. So, and that bodes repeating. Bias is normal. It's what we choose to do with that bias and how we mitigate it in our daily life with our actions, our behaviors, and how we speak that's really important. You know, if you think about at the end of the workday, you dealt with one person that was kind of rotten, you know, like a, a one bad apple spoils the bunch. One person makes a huge difference on a team. So you as one person on a team, even if you're not leading that team, can also have really strong impact and uh, be a force of nature. 
So in order to be an inclusive person and an inclusive leader, you have to do that reflection and, and to some degree, even self-interrogation. That involves reading. That involves learning. That involves educating yourself. It's not enough to ask a person of color, you know, can you tell me how to speak or what words should I avoid? Um, you know, you've got to really take the time to do that education. Mm -hmm. You had said something offline as well before around unconscious biases, the power of saying, I don't know, and having the courage to ask questions. Can you amplify and, and add some color to the, the power of just being open and willing to say, I don't know? Since we can't possibly know everything, we, in order to be authentic, we have to say, I don't know. And we have to have courage to have bold conversations. We have to have courage to ask questions or sometimes to say, not just how are you and expect a fine in response, but how are you really? And I think that um, in my previous role, we had this courageous conversation guide where sometimes you know, having conversations is a great learning tool as well. What if you don't know what questions to ask? So it's thinking about what questions can I ask and then really being able to listen. And if we are not meaning to exclude, but we do anyway, um, I'll give an example of microaggressions. You know, being Asian, we often hear that Asians are the model minority and, um, or, oh, hey, uh, you know, you're good at math and that assumption's made because I'm Asian. You know, can you go ahead and crunch these numbers or you don't really sound black? Um, and so exploring what microaggressions are and how those can really harm, even though they might just be brief statements. Um, so, so much of this is about educating ourselves. You know, there are implicit bias tests that are out there on the internet. So if you're not sure what your bias is, you can take an implicit bias test and really learn about that. And so I'd say that uh, the unconscious bias becomes more conscious when we really do that self-reflection. Hmm. Fantastic. I want to also unpack another question that we spoke offline, and I think this is the elephant in the room when it comes to doing this type of work, and uh, especially for people that are business leaders or looking out after their, their P&L, and the question of what's in it for me. So when we have this conversation, Pranika, about you know, dibs and diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and we talk to leaders about that and they're sitting here and sort of nodding, but you get this feeling in the back of their mind, they're thinking, yeah, but <laughs> what's in it for me? So how do we tackle that type of question and thinking, uh, particularly for business leaders? So when you think about a business, um, you know, you, you get people in the door, you hire them, you want to retain them, and then you want the company to perform well, uh, obviously from a profit standpoint, or if you have shareholders and you're a public company um, from the, the stock perspective and, and shareholders. But I think it goes beyond that. We've been talking about diversity and inclusion 
For so long now, we move past the business case. What makes companies successful is people. When you hire someone in to do a job, you're not just hiring that person, you're hiring who they are. And it's, it's um, I think we've also gone past the point of hiring someone for cultural fit. Um, when, when someone has to fit in, it means that they have to be in this mold. And I think if we want to have true innovation and we look at, especially in pandemic, adaptability has been so incredibly important um, that people have to morph and keep up with things. When you hire people in, you spend money on their training. You spend money on getting teams to work well together. And if you lose that talent, if you lose those people, you're spending even more money. So I think part of this is about a talent perspective. Once you hire someone in, how do you get them to stay? How do you get them to want to stay? Do they have career options? It's not enough to hire diverse people. Um, do, does everyone at your company feel mentored and sponsored? Mm. And then once we look beyond that, once people get in the door, what kind of career can I have here? And do people have pride in the organization? Not only pride in what they do, but pride in being a part of that team and what your company stands for. When values from an organization can coincide with your own personal values, you see this small slice of a circle that really gets to the best performance and the best engagement and the best teaming. And so when people uh, feel, understand, and are able to speak up about that cross-section of values from the organization and their personal, then it makes all those hours, which is usually 50% or more of our day that's spent at work, even more meaningful. And people stay, and they mm. do their best, and they enjoy working with others. I think the mentorship and sponsorship piece is, is really big. And I think that's a, a nice segue into what that looks like. I, now that it's been a couple of decades being in various different organizations, and I've seen organizations try to go about or to encourage uh, mentorship or sponsorship, as, as you say, I actually like the sponsorship uh, version more. I think I, in my own life, I've done some de facto mentorship and people have just called me their mentor. And so as I think about my career and how I've grown, whether it's the military and all my time in, in the corporate realm, I've seen some initiatives to uh, support the mentorship mentee model. And could you share a little bit about what works and what doesn't work in, in terms of how folks go about seeking mentorship and sponsorship? So there's this phrase out there, you know, having kind of a personal board of directors, um, so to speak. And I think it's important to have both formal and informal mentors. I think that's part of what has um, allowed my career to be successful and learn about organizations. And there's this phrase out there now also called reverse mentorship. 
it doesn't mean that you always have to have mentors with all this experience who've been in a company forever. You can also learn a lot from people that are just coming up in the organization and their perspective on things. I think that I learned a lot uh, from my informal mentors and from reverse mentoring um, when I was at Occidental. I was there for quite some time, you know, almost 10 years. And I think having the perspectives from kind of both ends and the middle really helped me. I sought out informal mentors. You don't know what you don't know. And um, I think that being able to offer something into that relationship is also important. It's not just about what you can get out of it. And I think also that lends itself naturally to then sponsorship. If you have great relationships with your mentors, you know, they will advocate for you and uh, help sponsor you up through the ranks or the activities or initiatives, um, projects that you're working on as well. And that doesn't just have to be within the organization. Um, you know, the world is a vast place and there's so much out there um, about companies and even Industries can be similar and we can take, you know, things from one industry and sometimes apply them to another. So I think that having those mentors within various realms of, of uh, different worlds, whether it's nonprofit to profit or different industries, can also be helpful. Um, maybe one or two more topics here and going back to um, what we have in common, uh, all of us that come on, um, or most of us at least in terms of our education and going back. And I, I missed calling out that you're a class of 2004, uh, yes. of rice business. And so, uh, as you reflect upon th this time and I'll let you run amok with this uh, next question. Um, when you look at what you learned in business school and what are some of those pearls of wisdom that you have carried forward with you or wish that you had been able to carry forward with you? So I think the best things I, I learned from business school was, you know, being able to team with a variety of people, the beauty and challenge of both of this is, you know, we don't think alike. Um, we, we all think so differently. So being able to team and collaborate with a variety of people is so very important. Um, I think that I was able to look at the world more broadly uh, post-business school. You hear um, so many different things about companies, leaders. Um, you hear from leaders themselves, the case studies, um, it's such a great learning experience to know where companies have succeeded and failed and how that might apply to you. I think um, some real key things for me, uh, making lifelong friends. I did the full-time program, so you spend a lot of time um, with those folks and uh, have some uh, key people that um, we'll never lose from our life. I think it's also being able to refocus yourself so, so much of my life pre-business school, I think, was just focused on thinking one way, and I was able to see what else I was good at and also refocus myself in terms of what I wanted to do as well. Um, and the last thing, I think, is, you know, being able to present better, uh, to work on my listening, self-confidence, and also this network of people that you just know across 
Houston and for those that, that left this area, uh, actually across the world. It's a really uh, neat group of people. So those are the things I, I think I love the best. Yeah, when I think about the various teams and organizations I've been a part of, the the people I met in business school are the ones I've stayed closest to and have still the highest levels of, of engagement. And so uh, we're simpatico in, in that regard. So, um, so Pranika, th this has been fantastic. And uh, again, I know we, we tried to tackle and did tackle a lot of um, large topics and uh, very nuanced. And so thank you for bringing your skills and expertise and awareness and listening to the table. Um, we talked about a couple of things that um, could be a call to action for, for folks listening, um, practicing and, and improving listening skills, um, implicit bias tests that are available um, out there and uh, seeking and giving mentorship and sponsorship are the ones that popped out to me in terms of T potential takeaways for folks listening. So, but I'll pass the con show back to you in terms of any call to action for folks listening for either the, the Rice Business alumni, community, students, and beyond. Um, what would you like to see people take away or um, take action on after this conversation? So I think that um, the network of people that you meet in business school is amazing. And when you go out into uh, the work world, even in your community, those connections uh, are so important, and those connections can ripple from work into your home, into your community. So I think the call to action is looking at how you create connections. And if you look at your circle um, of friends or relationships, how do you bring more diversity and perspective into that? So to really create connections, sometimes you have to be intentional about it. And I think that one call to action is how can we create connections with people that we may not have created previously? Um, and to really get to know people, you have to have a conversation. It's normal for people to judge a book by its cover, but when we truly create connections with people, um, those ripples out into our home and our community can have such a positive influence. So think about who you're creating connections with and um, how that can amplify voices and give you a different perspective. Fantastic. And one more bonus question before we adjourn and drop the mic. Uh, so what's next for you? What's, what's on the horizon? Um, and you don't have to give out all the secrets, but I feel like you're someone who is a big thinker and always is plotting out the next three, four, five moves. So what exciting things are on the horizon for you, Pranika? Well, I've only been in the real estate industry for about uh, seven weeks now, um, have been settling into Greystone. So um, part of my next moves are really um, sinking myself into the real estate industry and getting to know that industry. Um, speaking of connections, it's been uh, um, really tough of mine and very cool to meet the people of Greystone. Um, my next thing, uh, also giving back to Rice. So uh, I was able to uh, speak on a panel last year, but uh, not only uh, just the panels, but kind of giving back in terms of mentorship. Um, so getting back uh, involved with Rice is uh, something key as well. Um, and then I, I look forward to uh, post-pandemic traveling again. So, um, you know, when, when we have those different experiences, um, there's such 
um, I think it opens up our minds and perspective again. I do enjoy travel and I really look forward to being able to do that. I think one thing is during pandemic, uh, I've really gotten to explore Texas and Oklahoma just by driving. So have been to places that I hadn't been before and that's also been really neat. So I look forward to continuing to explore the, the U.S. Um, and do some road trips, but I also look forward to being able to travel again post-pandemic. Thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I'll have you know and folks uh, listening in. Um, I hope to talk to you soon. Don't be a stranger. And remember to folks listening, call dibs. We're out. Thanks. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. Let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleaver. 